0: Hello and welcome to The Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we are in the third play, Serviceman, and we're in the second act called City Lights, and this is scene six, titled Chez and it begins with Michael, who is the narrator and Stanley's son. Stanley reunites with John Sherry, who is visiting Chicago from Philadelphia and staying at the Conrad Hilton Hotel. After starting in the hotel's famous Normandy bar, these young veterans return to their favorite clubs in early December 1945 to celebrate each other, the city, and their good fortune at being alive. The glamorous Chez Paris is seen for the king and J.J., is a two-top table at the dance floor edge. These men smoke, drink, talk about their war, and remark on their friendship, which has lasted through the years and means more to them today than ever before. The original Chez Paris was their benchmark for high life before they saw New York City and rode the Queen Mary to war. The Shay opened in 1932 at 610 North Fairbanks Court, just west of Lake Michigan, and it closed in 1960. For these men, in 1945, their celebration is also recalling what their missions were and their fear, terror, death, love, and what became of Paris, Cannes, and Brussels. Michael continues... Life was never better for the Silver King than in his Air Corps years. He was 22 at the war's end and just beginning to understand a world without obvious limits. He wondered about a European life. Maybe Paris and his romances had room for him. The cities were splendid, sophisticated, and open to new possibilities. And now the king was considering a future at the home that produced the B-26 and had made him a marauder man. Michael reads a really remarkable letter that his father wrote three weeks after V-E Day in Europe. It's dated May 27, 1945 from Germany. Dearest ones, Four days have passed since my last writing, and they were undoubtedly the fastest four days ever experienced. If I didn't know better, I would swear I had skipped a day somewhere. It was all so fast, it seemed more like a dream than a reality, simply because I enjoyed myself to the utmost. Indeed, my short leave couldn't have been better if I had planned every minute of it before embarking. To come back here is such a terrific letdown, I honestly feel miserable. I was going from the sublime to the ridiculous, as I'm existing in the ridiculous at the moment. I had a much better time in Brussels than in Paris, though perhaps that was due to a certain factor which didn't exist in Paris. Nevertheless, I was impressed greater with Brussels as a large city. Paris might be prettier with its famous and well-known landmarks, but it was lacking in the hustle and bustle found in Brussels. Paris might be classified as a sightseer's city, while Brussels falls in the category of a busy big city. The city hadn't been scarred by the war, and I doubt very seriously if the population suffered at all. The stores seem to be amply filled with large stocks. The streets are jammed with automobiles, of which, surprisingly, were American-made. The majority of them. There were quite a few models as late as 1942. This was something you didn't see in Paris. There didn't seem to be any gasoline shortage. I was very much impressed with the modern apartment buildings. Also, it was the first I had seen over here to equal the states. One boulevard reminded me a great deal of Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, only without the lake. As always. I didn't do much sightseeing. I only see the places along the way from the hotel to the nightclubs, so I really didn't see much of the city. Maybe I'll get to go back soon and see some more of the famous places. We left here Wednesday morning by truck. Arriving there for lunch, we were billeted in one of the hotels which had been taken over by the Army. It was a nice place, though nothing extraordinary. However, we weren't charged for the rooms nor the meals which I still can't understand. Perhaps they figure we spent enough as it is without adding more. The prices are about the same as in Paris, terribly high. For example, in a nightclub one pays 80 francs for a drink of cognac, while in the hotel, which is army-controlled, you pay about 15 francs. A bottle of champagne would cost 1,000 francs, while in the hotel it was 200 that's why you can go for three days and spend a month's pay. The first afternoon I spent in the barber shop, I got the works, everything down to a manicure, and I came out feeling like a million dollars. It's a real treat to go to a barber. Remember how I used to hate it? Now I look forward to it. That night we started out to hit all the night spots. There's only one really nice place by the name of Corsos. It's rather modern and just as expensive. The rest of the places are mostly dives. And women. The place is running over with them. I saw some beautiful women in Paris, but not as many to compare with Brussels. About eight out of every ten are blonde and dressed very attractively. Walking into Corsos at night is like walking into a floor show. The place is packed with them, sitting around the floor at tables, Waiting to be dated. For a guy who hasn't seen a pretty woman or dated one for a few months, it isn't hard to take. Well, we got ourselves a couple of queens and started to do the town. Believe me, it was awfully drunk, but we had a wild time. All the places have to close at 11 o'clock. Why, I don't know. So at 11 o'clock, everyone starts looking for the dives that remain open until the wee hours. I never went up so many dark alleys and into so many dark doorways. The places can't be seen from the outside. It's all in knowing exactly where they are. All in all, the evening was a huge success, and I was thoroughly satisfied in every respect. Now for the best part of all. The following evening at dinner in the hotel, I ran into the two nurses from Koblenz. It was a strange stroke of fate and a most fortunate one, as it was like seeing someone from home. They were there on a pass just as I, and we still had two days to spend together. That night we went to the dance in the hotel, which was just for the officers on leave. Well, I've had fun at dances before, but I can't remember when I have enjoyed myself so completely. It seemed as though everything was perfect. The music, the drinks, and most of all, my date. At first, I thought it would be strange and difficult to date an American girl again. I was afraid my technique and ability to entertain. But I found I hadn't, and we had a grand time. It was so much like being in a nightclub in the States. I almost had myself believing it. After the dance, we found a cute little place where we could drink and dance. The atmosphere was just like you see in the movies. I only wish I could describe it to you to make you appreciate it. It's one of those things, though, I'll have to tell you about instead of writing about it. The following night, we did the same thing, only it was twice as much fun since it was our last night. I don't think I'll ever forget that little spot. We had the bartender mixing us a special concoction of his own, which was out of this world. I talked him into giving me the recipe if I promised not to give it away. So when I get home, I'll fix you a drink that comes direct from Brussels. Some day I would like to come back here to see, again, all the places I've been. It would be a wonderful experience. Well, Saturday had to roll around and that meant we had to leave. The temptation to say the hell with everything and remain there was almost too great to combat. Knowing I was coming back here was just as bad as it used to be when I knew I would return to fly missions. Now I've been back a day, and I feel even worse. Maybe getting a taste of normal living isn't good for me. Upon returning, I found two very sweet letters from you, and today I received another. They are dated May 15th. 17, and 18. I'm glad you're finally receiving my mail also. I was most surprised to hear that Jackie gave birth to a girl. I had no idea she was pregnant. The family is enlarging so fast I can hardly keep up with it. I'm glad Cece is enjoying herself. You certainly are being kept busy. I still don't know what will happen to us, just that we are going back to France." The transportation problem is so horrific. I suppose it would be quite some time before we get home. Thanks for the stamps. I wish you would keep sending me packages. One of the fellows received a jar of dill pickles, which were delicious. Please try to send me something with other foods. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly, hoping you're well. Love to Cece and Ida. I love and miss you, Stan. As the... Lights go up on this Chez Paris scene in early December. The king and J.J. enjoy the spectacle. And our hero quizzes his buddy. Well, J.J., how's life in Upper Derby? Family healthy? And J.J. to the king, it's all good, king. I was meant to be a family man. I love everything about it. What about you? Well, I'm adjusting to the calm and quiet of the home front. Life on West Aldine is an adjustment. And Sherry. Life is different. I'll give you that, King. It's probably easier for me right now because we married before my A72 tour. And our hero. Yes, I feel a bit lost. Looking for an apartment, learning a new job, relatives everywhere. People want to get in touch. I need some downtime. And J.J., you're not lost, King. You have never been lost. Think of this as a new turn and as an up-and-coming adult. You see the world differently. You're 22. You've grown fast. You're a man. You're still young, but you've learned a lot. So take it slow and try to enjoy every day. And our hero, I will, J.J., I will. I really will. Now I'll share an important secret with you. You can't tell anyone. I have a plan for 1947. J.J. smiling as ever. King, you know your secrets are always safe with me. Need I remind you of our V.E. Brussels celebration and the days and weeks that followed? And our hero. Got it, J.J. Well, let me spill it to you. I'm returning to college to earn an engineering degree. I'm preparing my GI Bill application. Sherry, to our hero. Damn, King, that is wonderful news. Tell me about what changed your mind. This is big stuff. Our hero. It's ironic. My separation interview at Fort McPherson in Georgia, which I imagined was just going to be a pro forma process, became an inspiration, a... An amazing couple of days. The first lieutenant who did the separation process asked me about college and the GI Bill. He actually had read my jacket and was impressed with my credentials. And now, JJ, quite curious, tell me about what he said, King. What was the inspiration, the thing that triggered this new direction? And the King. Well, He talked about bomber navigation school and all the skills that we had learned and practiced to stay alive, and he might at all sound so logical. Why shouldn't I build on my experience through the GI Bill and get an engineering degree? Well, who is this guy, King, and our hero, also feeling smug and smiling? His name is 1st Lieutenant Paul C. Cox, and... He might not have known it that day, but that conversation is about to change my life. As the lights go down on this scene, Michael sees these men as young adults, home from war, heroic and lucky at the same time, and recalls in his research about some things that happened before These guys got on the Queen Mary to go to their war. While they were in gunnery school in the summer of 1943, their unit suffered its first fatal training mission. On July 21st, two planes out of their air base in Florida collided and killed all ten crew members. Just a few months later, in October, when these guys were in bomber school, Congress decided to investigate the B-26. And, of course, these two men rode to war in late September of 1944. And by then, the 26 was a much different plane with a high success rate and very low loss rate. Now Michael will read a letter that his father received that was dated... May 5th of 1945 from Germany. Hi, Stan. I understand from Branch that you think Festi's boys are kaput, but maybe this will prove a little differently. Right now we are in Germany sweating out getting home. Only wish I had some way of getting in touch with Overby quickly to see if he could come to get us, but this will take too long. Yes, the whole crew got out safely and are all here. Things haven't been ideal by a long shot, but all in all, I guess they haven't been too bad. The main thing is being alive and well. I don't imagine I'll be coming by the base to say hello to all the fellows who are still there, but I do hope I run into you back in the States. I hope you'll send all my things home for me, even though... You thought I was dead. It will save me a lot of money if you do. That is, if they ever find me. Guess that's all for now, fellow. I'll see you later. Jim. This stunning letter is from Jim Fomby, Jr., who was the co-pilot in the Festies Boys crew. The king met his guys in the summer of 44 at Shreveport, and they trained together to become Festes Boys and a remarkable crew. And you may remember that our hero got promoted in Europe and moved to another crew, and that his Festes Boys got another bombardier, and they were shot down in late February of 45. This is the end of Scene 6, Chez Paris, in Act 2, City Lights, of the third play, Serviceman. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.